turn together to the Gospel of Luke. This morning we will be looking at the middle section of chapter 5, verses 12 through 26. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. The word of the Lord is completely without error. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient. And the word of the Lord is completely authoritative. Take great comfort from that. Luke chapter 5. Beginning at verse 12. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But now even more the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in, Because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them. Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier? To say your sins are forgiven you or to say rise and walk. But that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Heavenly Father, we ask, O Lord, that You would use this Word to change our lives. 
even as you change the lives of those who were in this story. Help us, O Lord, to see the power that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. This we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we have two stories here that are different in some respects, similar in some of the incidentals. But Luke puts them together here to make a point about Jesus. A point about who Jesus is, what Jesus can do, and the power of Jesus to change lives. Two stories. A story of a leper, a story of a paralytic. But what I would like us to see here is the story behind the story. What is going on as a purpose that Jesus has. Not just for them, but for us. And to see first the dead man made alive. And then second, the man who was set free. Set free from far more than a bed. Let's begin then by looking at the dead man who's made alive. Our story begins here in verse 12 with Jesus continuing to travel and go about his itinerant ministry. His reputation continues to spread throughout all of Galilee. He is going about, he is healing people, he is preaching the good news of the gospel. And the crowds keep coming to Him. They don't have to be called together. Jesus doesn't need a website. He doesn't need a bulletin. He doesn't need a reminder on social media. He just goes someplace and it is all a buzz in the communities. Where is Jesus going to be next? Where can we find Him? Where can we hear Him? Where can we see Him? You have to imagine, this is like in our modern day and age when people hear a rumor of a famous professional athlete showing up someplace. Perhaps we hear that the MVP of the league is going to be at a certain restaurant or at a certain auction house and people flock to see them, to get their chance and their opportunity. That's what's happening here. The rumors go around, we think Jesus will be in this village next. And everyone goes. We know from the parallel account of this story in Matthew that what is happening right now is the one of these days is Jesus has just finished giving the Sermon on the Mount. And He is coming down from the mountain when He meets this man. This man is a leper. He doesn't have a name, does He? No. All of his being is bound up in his disease, in his leprosy. Now, what is leprosy? Leprosy is a broad category used in the Bible to describe all sorts of horrible and disfiguring skin diseases. Modern definitions of leprosy, I think, also are helpful for us. You see, leprosy is a disease that attacks all of the nerves in your bodies. And so, the good thing that God has given to us in pain, 
doesn't exist for the leper. Now, lest you say, well, I don't like pain. I wish I didn't have any pain. Could you imagine if you dropped something near the fireplace and without thinking you went and grabbed it to pull it out of the fireplace while it was on fire, not knowing you were destroying your hand? Or perhaps if you were walking and stepped on a nail or a tack and had no idea that you had done so. And it began to get infected and to spread. This is what happens. So as you think about a leper, you have to understand these are people not only attacked by a disease, but they are experiencing infections that rage. Their hands are stumps. Their feet are hobbled. They are bent over. Their face is disfigured. This is a person no one wants to be around. As a matter of fact, if you're a leper, you're already dead. And you know it. There's no cure. There's no experimental medicine. There's no hope. The only thing that you can get is to be quarantined, to be shut off from all of the rest of society. You are put outside the city. You are not allowed to speak to other people. The rabbis built up an entire set of rules about how to deal with a leper, how far away they had to be, how often they could address someone that people couldn't address them. They had to be so many yards if they were upwind away and so many yards if they were downwind away. It was a life of hopelessness, pain. And this man that we meet here has it bad. He doesn't have a little bit of leprosy that might get better. He doesn't have just a little bit of cancer. He doesn't just have cholesterol that's a smidgen high. No, Dr. Luke, remember, looks and says, this is a man who was full of leprosy. He's got it horrible. It's all up and down his body. He's a man without hope. And because of this, he's a man who knows his need. He's not walking around saying, I think I'll get better today. I think I'll go for a walk. No, he knows he's lost everything. He has no family at all. No friends. No job. No human interaction. He knows he has great need. And I think Luke points this out for us to get us to understand that the first lie that sin says to you and me is that nothing is really wrong with us. We're just like everybody else. Everybody watches that stuff on TV and the Internet. Everybody cheats a little on their taxes. Oh, everybody fudges. Everyone is mean at times to people. Every marriage has screaming bouts. There's nothing wrong with me. But you see, this man couldn't play that game. He knew there was something very seriously wrong with him. He knew he was without hope. And because of this, he was willing to take a risk. The risk we see is in verse 12. While Jesus was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. Now you have to understand, it was against the law for a leper to come into the city. So here this leper is willing to break the law to deal with punishment simply to see Jesus. He can't 
keep away. He's willing to go in and shock polite society. Can you imagine what people would react when they saw the leper coming to them? The horror, the yells, the screams, the cries of get out. Oh no, this horrible being. And we, as society becomes less and less polite to the gospel, the Bible and the church, are we willing to even put up with the least amount of impolite society in order to stand for the faith? This leper was willing to face mockery and shame just to see Jesus. Are you? Are you willing to be made fun of on the playground? Are you willing to have people call you a holy roller at work because you read your Bible during lunch? Are you willing for other people to call you all sorts of names simply because you want to be with Jesus? That's what this leper has done. And he goes up and he knows he has absolutely nothing to bring to Jesus. He doesn't say, Jesus, look at my attendance at the synagogue. He doesn't say to Jesus, oh, look at how much I've memorized of the Bible. He doesn't say to Jesus, look at how helpful I am to other people. He knows he has nothing. He's a leper. He's a part. And all he can do is fall down before Jesus Christ and say, Jesus, I need your help. If you're willing, you can make me clean. Now notice what he says. He doesn't say, can you help me, Jesus? He doesn't even say, Jesus, I need your help. He says, I know you can. Are you willing? And that's the posture of a sinner before Christ. We know Jesus is able, but at the same time, we wonder if we are worthy of His grace and mercy. Will He be willing to help us? Do you have this posture in your life? Jesus, I know you can save my marriage. Will you? Jesus, I know you can help my children. Will you? I know I'm not worthy, Lord. I know I'm wretched and horrible. I know I'm disease-filled. But Jesus, will you help me? That's what this leper says. And he comes upon a Savior who is willing. Jesus looks at him. And he has every reason to reject this man. The law actually tells Jesus to push him away to tell him he is unclean, to go back out, outside the camp where he is supposed to. After all, Jesus is also busy. He's preaching the gospel to people. He has to interrupt his sermon, interrupt his words of life to deal with this leper. He has every reason to say, Sir, I'm busy. Please go off to the leper colony, and if I have time later, I'll stop by. For you see... This is the second lie that sin gives to us. It's a lie that says that we are beyond help. 
If we understand we are sinners, then sin wants to tell us the lie that we are beyond help, that there's nothing that can be done for us. We just have to spend out our days and try not to be too miserable. And this man comes up to Jesus and he says, what will you do? What will Jesus do? How will he react? Verse 13 tells us that Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I will be clean. Now think about the compassion here that Jesus is showing. He's doing the unthinkable. This leper before him is disgusting. He is unclean. He is contagious. You can almost imagine the crowd that is around Jesus that knows their Bible. People like you and me. And they see this wretch of a human being and Jesus reaching out His hand. And do you know what they would yell? No! Don't do it, Jesus! Don't touch Him! Do you want to be unclean? Jesus, get away from Him! Now think about that. The religious people would be telling Jesus to get away from this man. Because as soon as Jesus touches him, Jesus would be unclean. It's unthinkable. And what does Jesus do? He reaches out and he touches him. And the Greek text is so vivid. He doesn't do this sort of thing that you see your children do in the back seat where you tell them not to touch each other, and they give you one of these with the tip of the finger. No. The word there in the Greek is that Jesus grabbed him, got hold of him. He wanted this man to know that he cared, that he was compassionate. And sometimes I think we lose sight of that side of Jesus. We see Jesus as a Savior. We see Jesus as a mighty Lord. He is the one that we need. But we forget that Jesus saves us because He longs to save us. He has compassion upon His people. He wants you to be free from your sins. He wants you to be free from your sorrow. He has compassion upon this man. As we are followers of Jesus, do we do the same? Or do we just go through the motions? Do we do what we think is the minimum required in order to get a desired result? Are we willing to risk it all? You see, Jesus is. He is willing and He is also able. You see, Jesus does the miraculous. He touches the leper and against all reason and foundation that would say that the clean becomes unclean by touching the unclean. Instead, the unclean becomes clean by contact with Jesus. It's a miracle. He's changed forever. And what is this response then to this miracle? Well, the first response we see in verse 14 comes from the law. Jesus tells him, don't tell anyone, but go and offer the sacrifices that Moses has laid down in the law. The law cannot stop the power of Jesus' grace. It actually offers proof of Jesus' work. The law which had 
barred this leper from society, now serves to vindicate the power of King Jesus. He will go and he will be seen as being clean. Jesus has given him his life back. And the people around are stunned. Look at verse 15. Now even more of them come. They want to hear Him and to be healed. They, they see that Jesus has real power and real compassionate compassion. Now, why is there silence here commanded? Why does Jesus tell the man not to go and tell everyone what has happened? I think what is going on here is what was true in Jerusalem and Judea and Galilee in that day is what is true today. Today... Far too many in the church do not want Jesus and His compassion and His Word. They only want His miracles. They only want the laser light show. And Jesus is saying, that's not the focus here. The focus here is on who I am. And on your need to come back to life. This is a dead man who gets his life back again. Then there's a second story that comes. A man who is set free. Set free from more than just lying on a bed. And in verse 17, we pick this up. On one of those days, that is, in one of the days of Jesus' popularity, just one occasion, they come together to hear Him. And we know from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, that this house, this place, was so packed in that they couldn't get in the door. They're packed as tight as you could possibly imagine. And the Pharisees are there making their first appearance in Luke, sitting on the front row. And they have come from all over. Do you see what Luke says? They've come from all of the villages in Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. Now you have to picture this in the map in your mind. Galilee is in the far, far north of Israel. And what he's saying is, the Pharisees have come from the far, far south, even as far south as Jerusalem, just to get there and get a front row seat so they can see if Jesus trips and falls. They have a vested interest in seeing Jesus fail. Their purpose is to find out bad things. It's not so for some other men. They make a decision to seek out Jesus. And they know that their need is desperate as well, just like the leper. They can't get in the door. They're carrying this man on a stretcher. That's what the bed is. They're not carrying some wealthy man on a four-post Queen Anne bed. It's probably a filthy cloth stretcher. And they can't get in. There's an obstacle in their way. What do they do? They're without hope. What do you do when obstacles come to your way? When you say to yourself, I'm going to read through the Bible this year. This is the year I do it. And then you come to Leviticus. Do you give up? You say, this is the year in which I am going to be ahead in all of my work so that I have more time to read my Bible and pray. And the first tough time comes along. 
Do you give up? You see, that's the decision these men are faced with. They can't get in the front door. There's a clear obstacle, but they will not let it stop them. They go up to the roof. Now, I think we have a bit of a wrong idea of what the roof is like. It says that they move the tiles, and I think we have some kind of Spanish stucco roof described where maybe they take one or two of these colored curved tiles and move them out of the way gently and they lay him down. No. The way roofs were built in this time is there were beams crossed over the top and then they took mud and mixed it with straw and other things and they packed it down and packed it down and baked it in the sun so that it became hard and that was the surface. And then you know what happened in the spring? It grew grass. About two feet of dirt packed together with grass on top of it. That's what these men face when they go up on the roof. And you know what they begin doing? They begin digging at the roof with their hands. Now imagine this. There are people outside. Dirt is flying. Hitting them in the head. What's going on up there? And then what happens is, is they continue to pound The people inside can't hear Jesus. And they say, what is going on up there? Some of you are distracted right now just by some spots on our roof. Imagine if it started to fall down. And dust was getting on your head and on your coat. And then light starts to come in. And they're squinting because the hole gets bigger. And you hear the guys up on top saying, yes, more, faster, let's go, come on. And they're pounding away at the roof. And a huge gaping hole sets up as dirt falls down in the middle of the room. The Pharisees are scandalized. And then they begin to lower him down. Now imagine lowering a paralyzed man on a stretcher down from a roof. That is not going to be a pretty sight. They're doing everything they can to get him to Jesus. There is a huge ruckus going on. But when he comes down, now you can hear a pin drop. What's going on? What's Jesus going to do? And Jesus looks at them. And you have to understand, Jesus doesn't see their success at digging through the roof. Jesus does not see the effort that they put in for their friend. What Jesus sees is their faith. Because no one does those sorts of things unless they are absolutely convinced that their only hope is Jesus. You see, it's not our works that save us. But God has given to us good works that we might show and exercise our faith. That we might show that we are relying upon the Lord Jesus. That's what Jesus sees. And He looks at them and he says, man, now you have to understand, this is a term of endearment. It's like friend. And he looks at him and he sees exactly what he needs and he says, your sins are forgiven you. Now imagine you're one of the four men who's just gone through all of this. You might say, well, that's nice. I was hoping you might heal him. Could you imagine the paralytic? He's listened to all the stories from his friends about this Jesus and what he can do and how he heals and this is your only chance. 
Your sins are forgiven you. You see, it's not what they expected, but it's what they needed. Jesus doesn't just do that in Bible days. He does that today with you and with me. He doesn't just give us what we expect. He gives us what we need. Sometimes we need pain. Sometimes we need cancer. Sometimes we need financial ruin. Because Jesus knows that our immortal souls are more important than any of those things. Do you see this, Jesus? Or is Jesus for you merely a ticket to an upper middle class American good life? Because you see, there are plenty of people out there willing to preach that kind of Jesus. But it's not the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of the Bible knows our deepest, darkest secrets, our deepest pains and needs, and He meets those head on. And this is why when the Pharisees look at Him and they say, what on earth are you doing? They don't care about the man. They don't say, why didn't you heal him? They don't care about anything except for their power. And and ironically, they ask the right question. They say, who can heal but God? Or who can forgive sins but God? And Jesus might say, exactly. You see, they stumble on the right question. But what they are doing is they are using right theology to distance themselves from Jesus. Do you see that? They know their theology and they are using it as an excuse to stay away from Jesus. And that is a temptation that we face today, isn't it? We know our Bible, but we use it as an excuse not to be confronted by Jesus. That doesn't mean we shouldn't have good theology. It means that we should have good theology to good ends. That is, it should bring us to Jesus. They're hostile to Jesus, even in the way they think. And Jesus poses a question to them. He says, which do you think is easier? And it's actually an ironic question because neither is easy. It's not easy to heal someone and it's not easy to forgive someone's sins. But you can see the edge in the question. Jesus is saying... You don't think either of these things are possible. But just so that you might know what the reality is, I'm going to say, get up and walk and watch my power. Jesus doesn't just talk. He acts. And he says to the man, rise up and walk. Now, could you imagine the man at this point? He's been through every emotion under the sun. But just like the leper immediately and miraculously was cured, so he feels strength in his legs that he has never felt before. And can you imagine? He just pops up. Wow. Thanks, Jesus. And he goes off. And you imagine everyone in the crowd around. Wait a minute. He said, rise up and walk. And the guy did. Didn't he just say your sins are forgiven you? Did he do that too? Can you imagine it? You see, Jesus has changed the life of not just this man, but of his friends and of everyone around him. 
That's who Jesus is. That's the way He works today. Does Jesus change your life and your world? Or are you just observing, waiting to see what happens to other people? The call from the Lord Jesus Christ comes to you today to be changed and to come to Him because He is the only one who can change you. That change comes not by might, not by effort, but by trust and faith in spite of all circumstances in the King of Kings, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray.